Well, good morning, Arbor. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, my name is Jake, if I haven't had a chance to, uh, to meet you. And today, I'm happy to tell you, we are not starting a new series. We are, yay, let's cheer for that. Uh, we are not continuing a series. Uh, we are going back to class. Last week, we started it, and so we're week two in our Discover class. When you came in this morning, you might have noticed on your seats that we had these little study guides for you to follow around, uh, along with. Uh, I think that'd be good to pull those out, grab a pen in front of you. If you're listening back online, you'll notice that the PDF of that is in, um, underneath the message description online. So uh, to be clear, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're walking through. This is our brand new on-ramp process. Basically, this is going to be our ongoing class that we will be uh, having every single Sunday for those who are curious about the church. Uh, This is a backstage pass, if you will, to kind of explore the back roads of our church in hopes that those who come along will join us on the journey. So the obvious question is this, though, is why? Why are we spending four weeks, why are we spending four Sundays walking through a class about onboarding new people when most of us here are already a part of the church? Well, the answer is this, is uh, about 150 faith-filled people helped start this church. Three years ago, last week, we started this. Now, about 1,000 people call Arbor their home, their church home. Uh, This week, I had a couple people ask me, how is that even possible? I don't see 1,000 people here on a Sunday morning, and that is true. Here's how that is, uh, here's where we get that stat from. Basically, when people used to go to church back in my age, uh, a regular churchgoer, a regular attender would go every single week. Friends, over time that has changed. About five years ago, a regular attender was considered to be someone who goes twice a week. Unfortunately now, um, a regular attender across the United States uh, goes about once a month is what happens. And so that's where we get that number. People consider this to be their home church. They're just not going to church as often. But basically, we're a church of about 1,000 people. We, have a, you know, we started with 150. So that means that about 85% of us that are here today were not a part of those foundational conversations that help mold the vision and the mission of this church. And so the big reason why we are walking the entire church through this course is simple. We want to get on the same page. We want to be rowing in the same direction. We want to be shooting at the same target. So for some of you who've been around a little while, you're going to notice that pieces and and points and even stories uh, will sound familiar, and that's because I've shared them before, right? what, What we want to be remembered, we repeat. We repeat what we want to be remembered. And so the benefit, the profit, kind of the payoff of this whole entire four weeks is this. At the end, All of us will have a full perspective. We will have a complete big picture understanding of what goes on at this church and the beautiful work that God is doing right here. And so to give you an overview of this this class, let you know this. It is four weeks, four questions. Four weeks, four questions. Last week, we answered the question, why does Arbor exist? And so do me a favor. If you were here last week and you know the answer to that question, because this is class, go ahead and raise your hand. Why does Arbor exist? Anybody in here brave enough? And if, if the message didn't come through clear, I will repeat it and we'll just go back to week one right now. So what is it? 
Life changed. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> that was good. Yes, exactly. When we boil it down to its core thing, we want life change. Our lives have been changed and impacted by Jesus Christ, so we want to bring others into that exact same life change for their benefit. Today, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Next week, we'll talk about how do we accomplish that purpose, and then the following week, we'll wrap it all up with who accomplishes that purpose. But today, it is what is the purpose of our church? And honestly, out of all the questions, this is the hardest. The answer is not as easily as you might think. I wrestled and wrestled all week long trying as I prepared to come up with the answer of what the purpose of our church was, and unfortunately I came up empty. And so I got so frustrated that I sent Brian, our youth director, out on, um, on location to discover the purpose of our church. Now, from what I understand, we lost contact with him a few days ago, and uh, He's been gone an entire week. We gave him a wad of cash, you know, for, uh, for uh, you know, plane travel, bus fare, you know, any expenses he'd come across. So he's probably halfway around the world. But you know what I thought would be good to do is to actually take some time and FaceTime him this morning, check in on how he's doing at discovering, there we go, discovering the purpose of our church. So I love technology. So there we are. Hello? Good morning, Brian. Hello? Hey, man, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Hey, where are you at? What's your location? Uh, I didn't get as far as I would have liked. <laughs> Wait, Brian, are you still in the lobby, man? Are you in the lobby? Pretty much. <laughs> you see, after the Super Bowl, I don't feel so good, man. I'm not sure if it was the 49er loss, the, the cheese was. Or the halftime show, but I felt pretty sick, and I haven't left the building. Uh, that's too bad, man, because honestly, last Sunday, I had a great day, a great day. Uh, hey, any luck, on, uh, any luck on your search for the purpose of our church? Actually, no. You see, I, I've been in here for a whole week, uh, and I thought this quest was going to be a lot easier. I, I thought the answer would have presented itself. <laughs> but don't worry, man. I promise I will come through. I, I feel like I'm so close. Like, like the answer is stalking me. Uh, well, it probably is, man. But I am sure you will figure it out. Uh, by the way, um, what did you do with all the cash, the wad of cash we gave you? Uh, about that. Uh, I kind of put a bet down on the 49ers. You see, I, I figured it was a sure thing, like giving Lynch the ball in the one-yard line on Super Bowl 49. No, no. Uh, I lost it, no, man. Dude. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I can't talk to you anymore. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for that investigation. Um, the answer to the question is not as difficult as you might seem. It's not only written on my notes right here, it's written on the wall when you walked in. The purpose of this church is simple, making disciples together. It's been that way from the very beginning, making disciples together. Making disciples is our purpose. Our preference is that we would do it together. Uh, we get this from the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28, foundational passage of our church. This is the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Therefore, it's probably pretty important. Here's what is said. Matthew is an eyewitness to this account, and here's what he recalls and wrote down in his gospel. He said, Jesus came to them, them being the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or in light of, in light of the fact that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, therefore, go. And that word go actually means as you are going. As you are going, you need to do something. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's our purpose. We didn't use any clever words. We didn't come up with any phrases. We decided when we started this church, we're going to use the words that Jesus used. Make disciples of all nations, which means we have got to move out of these four walls. We have to go out of this building, down the uncomfortable stairs, past the barbed wire fence, out into the real world that is out there baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and teaching them to obey everything. And friends, there's a difference between teaching somebody about something and teaching someone to obey something. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then here's my favorite part. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age for which I am so incredibly thankful. That is the Great Commission. One of the most popular, famous passages in all of Scripture. I promise you, I have probably read it a thousand times. I've probably heard messages given on it at least a hundred times. And so maybe you have as well. But making disciples, when Jesus used those words, when he picked those words, what did he mean when he said that? What does making disciples actually mean? And what I am learning is that the same phrase um, can and often does have different things or mean different things to different people. For example, shorthand texting, when you grab your phone, I don't do this a whole lot, but shorthand texting, abbreviations, we have those, right? BRB, what does that mean? Be right back. Exactly. LOL. Who knows that one? Exactly. YOLO. What does that mean? You only live once. Does anybody know what the phrase FTW means? For the win is one interpretation of what that could be. And the most popular, mind you, for the win. I will not name names. A very sweet, wonderful woman uh, named my, <coughs> my wife um, thought that FTW meant F the world, is what she thought it meant. <laughs> F the world. And so you got to imagine, as she is reading these texts and she's seeing someone at Molly Moon's and they got ice cream and they're like, for the win, the ice cream. They're like, F the world, <laughs> right? Somebody gets a new job, for the win, F the world. Announce they're pregnant, <laughs> F the world. <laughs> Language relies upon a common understanding between two different people. That means if we don't have a common understanding, what we have is a miscommunication. And what I've been learning is that making disciples, as often as we have talked about it, has several interpretations. The two most primary, the two most common church words that are used are evangelism and discipleship. When people think of making disciples, they'll often choose one of the two. 
Evangelism is proselytizing, preaching the gospel, social justice, outreach, having conversion conversations with those who are far from God. That's evangelism. Discipleship is like Bible study, going deep, sanctification, becoming like Christ, spiritual growth. There are two different aspects of the faith. But yet, what did Jesus mean when he said making the disciples? We believe here that he meant both that both of them are. The definitions, both of them are correct. And so it's our desire to eliminate um, misunderstanding and come to clarity with the phrase making disciples. It's very important. When we started the church and when we put that phrase on the wall, I didn't realize that people didn't all think the same thing. It was as we went down the road, I realized, oh, there's misunderstanding in this. You cannot have misunderstanding when it comes to the purpose of your church. And so, to have complete clarity about what making disciples is when we say the phrase from here or say it at all, it's this. People helping people find and follow Jesus. It's your second fill-in. you got to kind of go past the story that's on there inside of your books, and then you can uh, read that later if you want. But people helping people find and follow Jesus. That's both. Both. Finding, which is evangelism. Following, which is discipleship. We're going to talk about both of these today, and we're going to take half the time and talk about what does it mean to help people find Jesus, and we're going to take half the time and talk about what does it mean to help people follow Jesus. And so let's start with follow. Here's what it says in John 8. Jesus said, to those who followed him, so that those who believed in him, trust in him, have faith in him, like most of us here, to those who followed him, he said this, if you abide in my word, If you meditate, study, devour it, you are truly my disciples. A true disciple is one who follows Jesus. We are to follow and we try to follow his examples. Unlike the original disciples who actually literally got to follow him around, watch how he moved, watch how he talked, we are to follow him in accordance to his word. In Jesus' day, About 200 years before Jesus, there was an ancient Jewish rabbi, and he said this. His name was Yose ben Yoezer, is his name. Yose ben Yoezer, and he said this. Let the dust of your rabbi, or let the dust of your teacher be upon you. Be upon you. The idea in that, in ancient Israel, is as you walked, as you followed your teacher, your rabbi, you would follow him so close that as he stepped on the sand, dust would come in the air and it would fall on you because you are following him. You are learning from him. You're paying attention to what he's doing. You're that close. Friends, we don't live in ancient Israel, but growing up, we go camping a lot. And if we went camping, we had three things that we always had, which are camping gear, we had our fishing poles, and we had our motorcycles that we brought when I was growing up, motorcycles. Uh, We brought food, that was optional, but because, you know, we would want to catch our food. But we always rode bikes, and as a kid, as a little kid, I started off with a YZ60 Yamaha. It was yellow, it was beautiful, it had three gears, and it went fast, at least it went fast for me. My dad... He had what was called a Mako 500. They don't even make these anymore. It was so powerful, so loud. And during the day, especially in the morning, we would get up after fishing, then we would head on out and we would go for a ride. And I would follow my dad. That was my job, 
My dad would say, stick on the back of me, follow me, whatever you do. And so I would follow him. He's in his big bike, I'm in my little bike, right? And we would go wherever he went and I would follow along with him. Well, the, the best part was is that he would, we would always ride in the mud, and I loved it. We'd go in the mud, and then my dad would drive, and he'd throw up a rooster tail of mud. And I would have to stick right behind him in the middle of that, and it would land all on me. And so the point that when I got home or got back to camp, I would pull up my glasses, and I had this, like, yellow outfit, and it's not yellow anymore. It's brown, and my eyes look like a raccoon because I had my goggles on. But that's what it meant to follow as close as possible. And I wanted to emulate what my dad did. And as he would take that corner, I would try to take the corner the same way. The idea was he would show me the path that I needed to go down, and I would follow him the best I can. It is the same thing here. Let the dust of your rabbi be upon you. We want to follow Christ as close as possible. Friends, Christianity isn't simply are you in or are you out? Are you going to heaven or are you not? There is more to this than just salvation. There is sanctification, becoming like Christ. Salvation is just the beginning. We have the opportunity to get to know Jesus and grow with him. One thing I'm actually really excited about this class is, you can see it if you open it up, we actually built what we call an assessment tool um, entitled the discipleship process. And if you look at that thing, this is a tool. Let me tell you what kind of tool that is. It is to help you to determine where you're at in your discipleship process and what your next step could or should be. Look at this here. The idea is this, obviously, and we're from Arbor, so we have to have it in tree form. And so we've got little baby sprout moving all the way up to a full-fledged tree. And the process is this. Is there's sprouting stage, there's a stage of growing, there's a stage of maturing, and then there's a stage of reproducing, where fruit falls from our lives. If you want to take the first line and then we walk across it horizontally, here's how it works. You would assess where you're at in this. Sprouting, you start off with a belief in Jesus, a belief in him, right? And as you move along, you start to trust Jesus in your everyday life. Um, and then you keep going and you're maturing. Instead of just trusting him and bringing him along, you start to obey what he teaches you. Not just know about it, but you start to obey it. Eventually, you get to a place where you're reproducing and you live and love and look like Jesus. When people walk by and they're like, oh, what does Jesus look like? It looks like that person right there. And so another way, another example of this is how we pray. Two down, you look on that. It says pray um, when you're sprouting and you start off in faith. It's good to pray and pray even during crisis. You just pray during crisis. And I love that you're praying in a situation like that. But that's a sprouting situation. We don't want to stop there. We keep growing. And that means we pray now and then. Maybe at, you know, bedtime or when you have a meal or, or every once in a while when things get crazy. Eventually, we want to work to the point where we're maturing and we are praying consistently. That means there's like a set time and we are, we are spending constant conversation on a regular basis with our Savior. Eventually, you want to get to the point of reproducing where we are praying continually. Like Paul says, pray without ceasing. Friends, this is a tool. I think it's a really great tool. And my thought would be this, is that if you want to take some time, there's little blank parts on there with little dots on the side where you can fill in, here's where I'm at at this point. 
here's where I'm at in this spectrum when it comes to praying or when it comes to, uh, you know, a growth group or, or connecting with people or serving or things like that. And my idea or my thought would be is that you identify one area in there that it seems to be farther on the left than the rest of them. And if that's the case, maybe you would identify that. That could be like Bible reading, like you rarely read and then you move towards the regularly reading or something of that nature. But the goal is to take the next step. My desire would be to hopefully give you an idea of what the next step would be so that we know how to take it. My hope would be that you would do it in actually the next day, take the next step in the next day. And the reason I say that is oftentimes when we walk out of here, it just falls off of our radar. And so to keep it on your radar, um, because what we do today determines who we will be tomorrow. And again, this is just a tool. This is not the tool. This is a tool that we wanted to put in your hand when it comes to the following portion of our faith, when it comes to the discipleship process. Jesus said this. He said, my sheep, and he's referring to us disciples. He said, listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Making disciples is not just following. As we said in the very beginning, it is also finding, helping people find Jesus. And so we're going to switch to that side of things, from follow to find. And a great example is Andrew in John chapter 1. It says this, says the first thing Andrew did after he met Jesus, so this is his sprouting moment, was to find his brother Simon, who later becomes Peter, Simon Peter. And to tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. That's what the Christ is. He is the Messiah. Same word. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Around here, the term that we used often when it comes to this is invitational living. That's the way that we refer to it. Invitational living. Finding those who are far from Christ and bringing them near. That's the idea. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that you would invite them to church, although that's not a bad idea. In fact, something I'm excited to share with you about is that in three weeks, we are going to do the first of what we're going to call Gospel Sundays. Three weeks from now. I think it's March 1st. And the idea is this, is a few times throughout the year, we are going to strategically have a Gospel Sunday. Here's what that means to you. It means that if you know someone who has questions about the faith, someone who has doubts, someone that you have been investing into, this is the perfect time to bring them. You can know that the gospel will be presented clearly and that there will be an opportunity for them to respond. We're going to go all in on these particular Sundays. In fact, this coming one, the first one that we're going to do, I would tell you who it was, but we're getting the video. We're having someone come in, and we want to get the video set up and send that out. But his story is unbelievable, the miracle that was done in his life. Anyone who hears his story would hear, like, oh, my goodness, God is working. God is real. And so we're going to have those periodically throughout the year, strategically throughout the year. And you will have warning ahead of time, three weeks ahead of time, to know so that you can start inviting your friends to come to those Gospel Sundays. But that's starting three weeks from now, so here's your warning. Again, though, what I want to say, though, is it's not necessarily when it comes to invitational living, meaning invite them to church. It's so much more than that. Inviting them along is life is what we're talking about. Invite them out to dinner. Invite them to grab coffee. Invite them to go to a park and throw the kids on the playground so you guys can have a conversation at the picnic table. 
right? Invite them to go on a hike, to watch a game, things like that. For some, this is everyday life. And it comes so naturally. You're naturally wired for this. To bring people along in your life, invite them to do what you're doing is like second nature. For others, like myself, we need to work at this. We need to put some effort in. We need to intentionally go after this because for a lot of us, it's, it seems like a lot and it can be scary. Now, I'm happy to tell you that living invitationally isn't as much as you would think. It doesn't take as much as you would think it does. And it's definitely, once you get over the hurdles, is not as scary as you would think. In fact, what we've tried to do around here is reduce the scary into practical, doable steps. And so we talk about these a lot. Invitational living. When we say that, we mean this. It means engage on common ground. That's step number one. We want to engage on common ground with those who are far from Christ. Look at Jesus' example in the book of Mark. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples, um, for there were many who followed him. Friends, everyone has to eat. Like, it's a, it's a natural, normal thing. We all have to stuff our gob. That's, that's how it is. It's a common experience. Jesus could have eaten anywhere that he wanted with anyone. For heaven's sakes, he could have materialized food, and he could have had that by himself if he wanted to. But yet, Jesus chose to intentionally eat with them and meet them on common ground, those who were far from God. Verse 16, as the story continues, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the reason they asked such a silly question is because this was the kind of thing that a good Jewish person would not do. Because separation was the expectation. And yet Jesus is earning a reputation for his association with sinners. And so why? Why eat with those people? Why associate with them, Jesus? Why, why, why? Well, Jesus responds to that question in verse 17, and this is the best part. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then look at this. I did not come to invite the righteous to be followers. I came to invite sinners. Jesus was engaging in common ground. To eat a meal together, he was intentional in his approach, and we are to be intentional as well. And I use the word intentional intentionally. Finding those who are far from God cannot be an afterthought. It cannot be an afterthought. Practically speaking, we just simply need to start conversations with people who are far from God. Oftentimes it's like, ah, stay away. No, we should engage. Ask questions. Become a great question asker. If their shirt, comment on their shirt. You know, what, what's your job? What do you do for a living? If they got a hat with a logo on it, ask them about it. Unless it's a 49ers hat and then just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> if they have kids, that is a gold mine for a conversation. Everybody loves to talk about their kids. 
But you know the one thing that people like to talk about more than their kids? Themselves. So if you ask them questions about themselves, it's a great way to engage. Everybody likes to talk about every, themselves. It's their favorite topic. Now, here's my one request as a pastor to the congregation, that when you do engage people who are far from God, and I'm just, I don't, uh, just please be a normal human. Could you just be a normal human? When they ask the question, what do you do for dinner, it's not an opportunity to say, well, what are you doing for eternity? Okay? <laughs> Truly, just be normal, because that would help. That would help in the process. There's so many people that are not being normal. When they engage non-Christians, and so invitational living is this. Engage on common ground. Second one, invest in their well-being. Invest in their well-being. This is so, so simple, and honestly, it feels so, so good to do. To invest in someone else's well-being without expecting anything in return. You simply need to look, open your eyes and look and identify the need that is in front of you. And then not just try to meet that need, but try to outlandishly meet that need. To, to truly, this could be a neighbor, a co-worker, a stranger. It's to invest in their well-being. Paul said this, he said, for we are God's workmanship. Some translations say handiwork. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus himself actually said this. He said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that, here's the purpose, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There's a family inside of our small group who does this exceedingly well. Their eyes are open into their neighborhood on a regular basis. I, I love them dearly. And they notice that in their neighborhood, one of the families that they were connected to who are far from God, uh, their husband, the, the, the dad in that, that household, lost his job. And because of that, they were struggling to make ends meet. In fact, it got all the way down to the point where they were struggling with food. And so this family took it upon themselves to help provide food for them, groceries. They brought in groceries, which is, which is amazing. In fact, uh, the wife in our small group, she actually grabbed some extra shifts at her job in order to earn more income to help this family, which is crazy sacrifice. In our small group, we meet, and what, what I love about it is that we, uh, we meet in one house, and we drop all the kids off there, and then we go to another house. <laughs> so we need, this, this family needed money, and so it was the idea of this small group um, gal to say, hey, why don't we have them babysit all these crazy kids, and we'll pay them outlandishly to do so. And I thought that was amazing, and so they did that. And eventually, as a church, we got involved. They said, can you help? And I said, yes, we can. And so we, we bought them gas gift cards and grocery gift cards. And at one point in time, we even paid the rent for their house because it got so difficult. We didn't do any of that. We didn't do any of that to earn anything back. We did have an ultimate motive, though. And our ultimate motive was to simply love them as Christ has instructed us to love them. Friends, we do good things to earn goodwill, to be able to share good news. And what I love about this story is that the wife in our small group, she has been able to have faith conversations with these family who are far from faith. 
when they ask the question, why would you do this? She can share, it's because of Jesus. That's beautiful. That's what investing in somebody's well-being looks like. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Just meet the need that's right in front of us. The last thing is this, is to have gospel conversations. Like I said, we do good things to earn goodwill, to share good news. I said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. I love this. Someone once said, always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And I'm telling you, friends, words are necessary to share the gospel. Yes, you want to live a life in front of a Christ-like life in front of people, but words are necessary. And so we've got to speak up. And for most, when it comes to the invitational living process, this is the scariest part. Because we all have a fear of being rejected. Nobody likes being rejected. And we have a fear of saying the wrong thing. And so most of us get stuck on step number two. We're loving, we're loving, we're loving, we're loving, we're loving. But yet, we're not actually saying why we're loving. Having a gospel conversation does not require that you would have a theological degree. You don't need to have a pastoral license. You don't even have to have the perfect words. You simply need to share your story. To share your story. Your story of life change. And if that doesn't resonate with you, because there hasn't been significant life change in the last 20 years, you're thinking, ah, I got saved when I was a kid, then my suggestion would be to lean into Jesus. Because he changes our life on a regular basis. Having gospel conversations means that we're going to have to risk rejection. And the secret is this, is that it is so worth it. It is so worth it. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles said, um, for we cannot help speaking, right? We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard, and they're talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, a little while later, they kept going. It says, day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, so they went and they actually found people everywhere. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were compelled to tell. There is like a sense of urgency right here. They are compelled to share and to speak up and to tell people about Christ. It's a gospel conversation. Friends, I remember my very first gospel conversation, and it was scary. It was very scary. I worked in a sawmill. I had just gotten to know Jesus, really dedicated my life to him, and was learning all about him. I didn't know much, but I knew that he was my savior. And the reason I was learning, I was actually taking my Bible into the lunch break room, and I would have it open, and I would read it. And everybody saw that I was reading my Bible, and they all made fun of me for it in a sawmill, and that was cool. I was fine with that. But then one of the time, at one point, one of the old guys there, and it was just me and him at the moment, and he asked me this. He had long gray hair and a ponytail, I still remember it. And he asked me the question, do you really believe this? Why do you believe this? And I thought to myself in my head, oh my gosh, this is a gospel conversation moment, <laughs> right? Here we go. What do I say? And honestly, you guys, I went blank. I didn't know what to say. And my heart is racing, and I'm thinking, this is my moment. And so... Here's what I did. I had been listening to a guy over and over again. I actually grew up, my parents used to listen to him. Uh, a singer named Keith Green was his name. Some of you might know who he is. Uh, but he's, he 
in the beginning of one of his songs entitled Altar Call, before he starts singing, he talks. And I remember in there he explained the gospel. And so the guy asks me, why do you believe what you do? And here's how I responded. And you can go back and listen to the song, but it goes like this. You know, I really can't explain it. I still remember to this day. I really can't explain how he does it. But he proved himself to me in such a real way, in such a complete way, that I die for that faith. And I die for that belief. Because it's more than a belief. He lives in my heart. The gospel is simply this. Jesus will forgive all your sins if you come to him humbly. Lay it down at your feet and sit his feet and say, you're the Lord. And I will follow you for the rest of my life on earth so that I can spend the rest of eternity with you and the glory of your father. Thank you, Keith Green. That was amazing. I didn't know what else to say at that point in time. He just nodded his head and said, okay, which was awesome. He didn't give his life to Christ in that moment, but it's planting a seed, having gospel conversation. You don't need to know the perfect thing to say. Just say what comes to your mind, share your story, but let's open our mouths and talk about the great things that God has done for us. That's invitational living in a nutshell, engaging on common ground, investing in their well-being, and having gospel conversations. To wrap this week two up, here's what I want to say. I want this church to be, I want to personally be, and I want to partner with those to be in this together, making disciples. That means people, helping people find and follow Jesus. It started literally right here. This is a picture. It's the only picture we have of our first garage meeting. It's the only one that we have. In that garage is where I felt God call me to start a church. That was our second official meeting as a church in 2016. As I stood there, up there teaching, I remember thinking, what in the heck are we doing and just praying that God would take us along the way and that he would move us forward. Some of you had the blessing of being in there, inside of that garage on that day. Didn't fit many? Definitely 150 can't fit inside of my garage. It's one of our very first meetings. And now I stand here today, and I feel in a sense, a sense of fulfillment in the process of walking arm in arm in this with you guys. It's been a lot more fun than I thought it would be, it's been absolutely meaningful up to this point. When we look and we see what the Lord has done and everything that he has created over the last three years together with our hands and with our effort, it's nuts to look at this stuff. Friends, we're in a building. Most churches aren't even allowed to, aren't even in a building. They're in schools, and God knew I couldn't handle the, the setup and teardown, and so apparently we didn't go that direction, and I love that. We've got lights, we've got kids' rooms, you know, we've got shiplap all over the place. And that's just the brick and mortar. That stuff doesn't even matter. The good stuff that has happened is that marriages have been saved in the last three years. Faith has been strengthened. Prayers have been answered. Lives have been surrendered to Jesus Christ for eternity in the last three years. Kids feel invested in, families are cared for, and grieving people have been comforted because of the effort that we're putting forth here. I'm telling you, friends, this is just the beginning, and I feel like God is doing a beautiful, beautiful work here. I don't want it to stop in this room. 
I really do mean that I want it to affect this community out here. I want the love of Christ to affect those that we come in contact with for the glory of him and for the kingdom. That's the goal. And we're literally just three years into this. We are still, we're like a toddler right now. We're just getting up to walk. And I can't wait to see what God is about to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Actually, shoot! This is going to be great. Maybe we'll edit this out of the video. I've got to tell you about the next steps. Otherwise, those with you fill-ins are going to get freaking out. You're going to be twitching. We're going to pray in a second, so hold that thought. Next steps. This is what we do when we leave a class. We want to give you the next steps to follow. When it comes to that following, the two things we talked about, follow, here's what I would suggest. One, take the next step in the discipleship process. That means you need to fill out that page and you need to decipher where do I need to grow. You can see your next step and I suggest you take it in the next day or so. So you can fill that in. So take the next step, one step. The second part is find. Here it is. Identify three people that you want to start to invest in who are far from God. Our goal in invitational living is for those who are far to come near to him. And so we've, I would love it if you would identify three names, write them down on there a little bit later this week or even right now if you know whatever name comes to your mind so that we can be intentional. Again, that's so important. We've got to be intentional in this. It's got to be on the front of our mind. And lastly is this, is come back next week. And the reason this is important is because if we're going to all get on the same page, we need to all be here for these four weeks. Not very often do I say, hey, you got to be here next week, you got to be here next week. But for this class that we are doing, I think it's very important that if this is your home church, that we're all here together walking through the same thing. Okay, now let's pray.